We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Something happened more than 5,000 years ago that changed all of our lives and the way that we live our lives today. It was a moment between Eve and a snake, but not the snake as we know it, a snake that had a different persona, had different physical characteristics. Eve was told not to eat of the tree of knowledge, and the snake coerced her into doing so. And then she did, and the punishment as a result of that act was that Adam and Eve and their offspring were were banished from the Garden of Eden, that women would then have pain during childbirth, and that we would have a sense of mortality, all of us would die, and that we would now be able to distinguish between good and bad, between things that were blessings and things that were curses. Now everyone looks at that moment and they say, this was the moment that changed humanity as we know it. This was the curse of humanity. This was the evil cunning of the snake that tricked humans into what is our reality today. But I have a question for you. A rhetorical one that I want you to chew on in your head. And that is, is that moment really a curse for us, or could it be seen as a blessing? Could it be seen that because those things happened, and although Eve was told not to eat from that tree, she did, that as a result of that act, that we could have the very first understanding of the theory of relativity? And what I mean by that play on words is that because of it, we now know what good and bad is, and before we didn't. Because of that act, we know the difference between tall and short, between skinny and heavy, between good and cruel, between frustration and satisfaction. Could we imagine a life that didn't give us those points of free will and those choices? And perhaps, perhaps the angle through which we're looking at this story is the wrong angle. Perhaps this moment of Eve making this choice is really the moment that changes us for the better and not for the worse. In synagogues across North America in particular, today is a day of unity because tomorrow will mark the one year anniversary since the terrible shooting that happened in Pittsburgh where a deranged, angry, rabid man got a hold of a gun and went into a synagogue and killed 11 people, injuring many others and wreaking trauma and terror on the entire Jewish community. What happened in Pittsburgh was the single worst act of anti-Semitism in America in the history of Jews in this country. 
It was the single worst act. And today, in the Jewish world, when someone says the word Pittsburgh, it evokes a reaction from us that immediately thinks of our vulnerabilities in a synagogue and around worship and around violence and the increase in anti-Semitism. But my question to all of you is, is that the story? Is that the story of Pittsburgh that we should be focusing on? Is that what our instinctive response and reaction should be? Or should it be what really happened in Pittsburgh that should be the story that we tell? Because while indeed there was a lone, angry, anti-Semitic, horrible man that did this terrible act, what captured my attention about Pittsburgh were the literally millions, millions of people, many of whom are not of the Jewish faith, but many who were indeed part of the Jewish faith, that gathered in Pittsburgh and around the country and grabbed hands and said, we stand with you. This can't happen. Now, whether you like his policies or you don't like his policies, whether you support him or not, it's powerful that the President of the United States came to such a place in memory along with so many other elected officials and leaders of our country. That there were vigils that happened around the world of people of all stripes and backgrounds and colors that said, we stand together. It was a moment of incredible unity, not just for the Jewish people, but for humanity in the face of that terrible act. On what was a haunting Shabbat that chilled all of us to our bone in this community. The next Friday night, I walk into services here in the synagogue, just over a year ago, just under rather. And there are a few new faces, and normally I go up to people who are new or I don't recognize and I introduce myself. And amongst a few couples there was a couple who said that they lived in a nearby town to here. And they're not of the Jewish faith, indeed they're Catholic. But they chose to come to synagogue today because they felt that this is where God wanted them to be on the Shabbat. They wanted to pray with us. I got very emotional when they said that. They brought friends with them. When the service ended, she said to me, I want you to know something. My mother, of blessed memory, my mother was born in Poland and she helped hide Jews during the Holocaust. And those Jews came over to this country that she hid and developed a friendship with my family that was equivalent to what actual DNA relationship looks like. We were blood. And when I applied to go to medical school, it was this family that wrote the recommendation for me because they grew in their industry and helped get me in to medical school. So it was as if we saved a life and they shaped a life and together we helped each other. When I think about Pittsburgh, I think about the perspective of unity and hope and love that was so much louder and brighter and more brilliant than that one little flickering moment of ugliness and hatred. And it's true, 
It's true that that moment did leave out a lot of crumbs of cheese for the rabid rodents of the world to grab a hold on. But that number is not nearly as compelling as the number of people that stood up and said, we will not stand for this. We stand together with people of faith and even non-believers. Just a few blocks away from the Tree of Life Synagogue is where Fred Rogers lived and grew up. And Fred Rogers used to say that in moments of crises, don't look at the crisis. Look for the good people that are running and helping and making a difference. How many of us spent time looking at Pittsburgh of all of the first responders that responded in the heat of the moment and all of the second responders that came with support and love and flowers and cakes of all different backgrounds in the community from all over the world to help in what was a very dark and painful moment. Maybe that's the perspective we need to take. But I don't think it's limited to the issue of Pittsburgh. Sometimes our posture is one of worry and concern and imminent doom. We are a people too often that act like chicken little. The sky is indeed falling. You find me one parent today that has a child that is college age and who cares passionately about their religion and our homeland of Israel, and they will tell you that what is happening on college campuses is frightening. They will ring an alarm bell about things happening on college that will shake you to the core where you think that the best days of your life, which were college, is something you would never wanna go back to today. Well, I spend time every year going to visit our congregants who are in colleges around the country, whether they're in Syracuse or Michigan or Wisconsin or Tulane or other places, I go and I visit with them and we break bread together and I see what are the issues that they're grappling with as they grow in this place and where they are. And the overwhelming majority of them are happy and satisfied and proud of who they are in their faith. Today, in the United States of America, there are 550 Hillels on campuses. 50 years ago, there weren't half of that number. And if someone who engages in Hillel, and that could be someone who goes to services every week, or someone who once in a while is sick and they call the local Hillel, and the Hillel sends chicken soup to their dorm room, which is one of the activities that they do. Of all of those people that have even the mildest touchstone to the Hillel on campus, 94% of those people when they graduate say that Judaism matters to them because of Hillel and that Israel matters to them because of Hillel. Meaning the overwhelming response of being Jewish on campus is something that is wildly positive. But so many people are worried that the sky is falling, that terrible things are happening on campus and that it's not a place where we can be comfortable in promoting our religion or our passion for Israel. Did you know that today, today, there are 33 universities that are four-year degree-granting universities in the United States that have a dedicated discipline in Jewish studies? Now, for the amount of Jews, less than 2% in America, that's a pretty big number. 33 universities, and these are not unknown universities. Some of them include UC Berkeley, Michigan, Columbia, Cornell, NYU, Harvard, Princeton, Syracuse, and many, many more. 
Meaning, if you have an entire discipline on campus where you can earn a degree in this discipline, clearly there is a place of comfort. Yes, there are things that happen on campus that shake us up. There are things that happen on campus through every generation that has shaken us up. If any of you were alive in the 60s and the 70s, you know that university campuses were rife and ripe with all types of turmoil and challenge. It wasn't about BDS. It wasn't about our religious identity or support of a particular country. But it was about how it was we engaged in wars or in peace or particular beliefs. That is what college is. It is a fertile and mostly liberal ground where we're allowed to explore of these beliefs. Why should we be so quick to shut down and squelch those people who are using some of these voices in a way, by the way, that is not representative whatsoever of what the climate of support of the Jewish faith is on campus. In essence, what I'm saying is, there's a whole lot of worrying about a whole lot of nothing in my estimation. Yeah, there is stuff that happens on campus, but perhaps, perhaps we are fueling it more. On Yom Kippur, I bet most people, whether you're Jewish or not, heard about an attack that happened right outside of Berlin just a few weeks ago in a place called Halle, H-A-L-L-E, where a lone gunman tried to enter into a synagogue with 85 people worshiping inside, and the gunman was stopped. He shot two people outside the synagogue, killed them, and then went on to a halal area and was captured by the police. Raise your hand high and proud if you heard that story in the past two weeks. The overwhelming majority of this room. Now, what I wonder is how many people followed the story that happened four days later. It was a story of 10,000. 10,000 people in Berlin, most of whom were not of the Jewish faith, that led a public march protesting the shooting and the rise in anti-Semitism happening in Europe. 10,000 people in Germany said, we're not gonna stand for this again. And said, this is wrong. So what's the story, people? Is the story the one deranged, terrible, lone gun gunman? Or is the story 10,000 people that stand up to this one deranged person? Now it's a lot more salacious, the one gunman but 10,000 people squelching that voice to me is more compelling than the salaciousness of the first story. This is not the first incident in Germany. A couple of years ago, there were some thugs, that's the word for them, they were thugs, that saw a Jewish man walking home one evening and they attacked him, they knocked the kippah off his head and punched him in the face a few times. It was another case of terrible anti-Semitism. But as a result, all the leaders of the Reichstag, which is the German parliament, decided in unity, men and women, to put a yarmulke on their head. They all put on yarmulkes. And just a few weeks ago, Germany printed a cutout yarmulke in one of the most read newspapers so that people of all faiths can put on a yarmulke and say, never again on this soil will we teach and promote hate. So I ask you the question, which is the story? Is the story the two or three thugs that acted horribly or the 10,000 people that marched 
or the 100,000 people that cut out from the newspaper and put on a yarmulke to work to make a public statement. What is the story? If any of you have ever gone to the American Israel Public Affairs Committee, to their national policy conference that happens in Washington every year, it is a fantastic event and experience with about 18,000 pro-Israel celebrators who come with all types of elected officials. It's one of the few bipartisan things that still happens in America. So legislators from the right and the left side, Republicans and Dems all come together. There has never been a time where I have brought someone to APAC and it's their first time and they see about 200 protesters outside. Protesters of all shapes and sizes, some are even ultra-Orthodox, that are protesting the state of Israel. And all of the participants who come for the first time and some even for the 21st time are captured at the protesters. They wanna stop, they wanna counter-protest, they wanna yell at them, they wanna push them away. It's like this instinct. Meanwhile, you walk over the threshold into the assembly hall and there are 18,000 people over one common unified commitment and we're focused on 200 noisy people outside? Why is that our disposition? Why do we focus on that little bit of noise instead of that large amount of opportunity with unity? What is it that creates that moment where we look for what is the story as opposed to what compels us to be united? When my kids come home from school and they score a 90 on a test, my instinct is one that is very proud. They got the wrong parent if they wanted one that only accepts hundreds and more. I'm happy with a 90, I'm happy with an 80, some days I'm even happy with a 70. But how many of us, when our kid comes home with an 85, let's say, asks this question first, what did you get wrong? Which questions did you miss? Do you have a chance to make those up? Now part of that is because of our focus on always advancing and for college and for grades. Part of that is because we often focus on the missing or the broken or the things that are bad and wrong and not all that was right. 85 out of 100 is pretty darn good. Something that's worthy of celebration. Millions of people coming together in the face of anti-Semitism is a reason for us to hold hands and to lift them higher. 18,000 people celebrating a relationship between the United States and America is reason for applause, not the reason to focus on 200 people who are opposed to that unity. These are moments for us to champion. And on college campuses, where millions of young Jewish men and women are growing in their identity and learning about what is their place and their voice. With 550 Hillels and 94% of them continuing in their passion for Judaism and more than ever before visiting the state of Israel, that should be where our calibration is and where our coordinates are focused on. Not on the few places that spike and push back. That should be our posture. There was a time when Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, Rabbi Yeshua, and Rabbi Akiva went up to Jerusalem after the temple was destroyed. And they see the rubble of the temple and they are all crying, except for Rabbi Akiva, 
All of them are crying and they turn to Rabbi Akiva and they say, Rabbi Akiva, what are you smiling for? Our temple has been destroyed. We have been ransacked. It is a worse moment in our history for the Jewish people to date. Why on earth are you smiling? And Rabbi Akiva looked at them in almost a pedantic form, put his arms around them and he said, gentlemen, yes, it's been destroyed. We can tear our clothes and mourn or we can think about the temple we will rebuild. I'd rather do the latter. I'd rather think about us coming together and rebuilding and what can be as opposed to what was. On this day, a day where synagogues across North America are remembering the 11 souls that were taken senselessly from our midst all because they came to pray in Pittsburgh. Let us honor the memory of the dead by harvesting the fruits of the goodness that this tragedy reaped for our community and for our world. Let us dream like Rabbi Akiva of what will be, not what was. Let us dream of how we will grow, how we will learn, how we will be taller and better. Let us worry a little less about our imminent demise. Let us focus on what the real compelling story is for our people today, and most importantly, for tomorrow too. Amen. <laughs>